the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Football fans, welcome back to another episode of the Underdog Podcast where we talk G5 football and only G5 football for Underdog Dynasty. And it is another episode of Joe Talk, and that is me, Joe Serpico. And on the other side of the mic is my friend Joe Brobeck. What's up, man? Late night Joe Talk. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, we've spoiled ourselves the uh, past couple weeks by doing them a little bit early. Yeah, good old 8 o'clock bedtime for you, right? Uh, never. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> Midnight or later is the regular here. But so we have been going through our weekly previews throughout the spring, summer, whatever you want to call this time of the year. It's Are we in summer technically yet? What time? I guess it's another, what, couple days? Well, it's 50, it's 50 up here by me, so don't ask me. Uh, I guess that's yeah. That's I guess that's true. It was ninety to ninety degrees here today in Baltimore. Gross. But yeah, and humid, disgusting. Um. So yeah. So we're going through our previews. Last week was SMU, and this week we are on the Tulane Green Wave, and we are pleased to be joined by J.P. Gooderham of Fear the Wave, where they talk nothing but Tulane football, basketball, baseball. You name it. I've seen. I've I've listened to a little bit of the podcast the past couple of days, so I know you're really all over the place. But, JP, thanks for joining us, man. Excited to be here. Not a Joe, notably, but, you know, I still hope to contribute to this podcast, and, and we'll see where we go from there. Dude, we see, make it he easy should just for be you. part of it because he understands how it works. <laughs> Maybe we're going to call you Joe P from now on. <laughs> Do your thing, man. If that if that if that gets us in the zone, you know I'm cool with whatever. But excited to be here to talk a little Tulane football. No, once again, thanks for having us on, or excuse me, thanks for coming on. I guess just to say. Um, so I guess the the biggest question and one of the things that me and Joe talked a lot about last year is, you know, we didn't really know heading into the year what to expect from Justin McMillan, other than he was a guy that came from LSU. So obviously, you know, he's a highly touted recruit. And then, you know, Jonathan Banks starts the season as the quarterback. And then midway through the season, they make the coach or excuse me, a quarterback change there. And it seemed to kind of spark the team down the stretch. So what difference did he really bring the offense? Cause in my mind, I, I think what really stuck out is Tulane is a team that's known to be kind of an option offense, but for some reason, Banks kind of struggled running the football, and then when McMillan came in, it kind of opened up a little bit more. Yeah, you know, I think that's an accurate characterization. You know, I I think really when you look at Tulane's season last year, they were behind the gun if you look at the midway point of the season. Um, We're in year three of the Willie Fritz era. You know, Willie Fritz, for anyone familiar with G5 football, had tremendous success not only Georgia Southern, but at every stop he had in, in D2 and beyond before that. So obviously very high hopes of this team. And it, it honestly looked like in year three that there was a serious risk that they would not be reaching a bowl game for the first time under Coach Fritz. Introducing Justin McMillan, though, you know, the team goes on a, a bit of a run, wins a couple of really key games to, to give them an opportunity going into the final week of the season to make it to a bowl and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I think really the, the critical moment of the season was, I believe, with about a minute and 20 left against Navy in the Trident Trophy game. Just McMillan, uh, it's a two-point conversion to win. If they don't get the two-point conversion, they're going to lose. Uh, Mc, McMillan hits uh, Charles Jones for the two-pointer, and, uh, and that's it. And, you know, the wave is back in the bowl season for the first time in a few years. And I think what a lot of Green Wave fans can be excited about is that McMillan did add that spark. You know, he's a, he wasn't known to be a runner and he, I think would be the first person to say that, but he was able to break off a number of long runs in games like the one against USF. But to be honest with you guys, you know, we had a, a new offensive coordinator, Will Hall, who just joined the Tulane staff this year on our podcast. He talked a lot about what, what Justin McMillan can do as a thrower and passer of the football. And I think as we look at 2019, that's going to be the really exciting part is to see, you know, what he can do with his arm. Um, it might be something that, that really Tulane has not done over the last couple of years where it was more of an option-oriented run-first offense. 
Going along with that, so we know that McMillan gets Darnell Mooney back, but Willie Fritz also brought in uh, Oklahoma State transfer Jalen McCleskey, uh, as, and I guess to compete with McMillan, he brought in Southern Miss quarterback Keon Howard, uh, which was an interesting move to me. What do you, what do you make of those transfers, and do you think we'll see? Well, maybe we'll see a lot of McCleskey, but do you think Howard gives McMillan a run for his money, or do you think we'll see him this year? Yeah, I'll talk about McCleskey first at the wide receiver position. You know, I think this is an area where uh, Tulane has a, a real strength, especially with Mooney and McCleskey. For anyone not familiar with Jalen, he's transferring from Oklahoma State, and he wasn't just another guy, you know, with that team. He's number two, I believe, all-time in receiving yards for Oklahoma State. He comes back to Uptown. His dad is a coach on Tulane staff. To me, this is a very high-profile transfer, and not only that, that gives us a real uh, deep threat who can also help continue to open up Mooney. To me, you know, Darnell Mooney, wide receiver last year, um, he's a, a very underrated guy the way I look at it. His yards per catch, I believe, was leading the AEC. He was not on the first or second team in the AFC, AAC conference honors. Um, he's a tremendous wide receiver, and I think that adding in a deep threat like McCleskey and somebody who has a ton of talent, it's a big advantage. Looking at the quarterback position, uh, great point on your part. You know, Keon Howard, he joins the team from Southern Miss. He made some starts over there. Um, and, and obviously, you know, one thing I like about him is another left-handed quarterback. McMillan is a left-handed quarterback. If you're a receiver and you're expecting that kind of weird spin, you know, that maybe you haven't received earlier in your career, uh, you know, it's great having a couple of lefties who, if something were to happen to McMillan, we have Howard there as well. Um, he showed a lot of promise at Southern Miss. I think it's great having him in the program. When you look at Tulane in these first couple of years under the Fritz era, I think quarterback depth has been a real you know question mark around the program. So having two quarterbacks who have a lot of potential is great. Um, to me, everything I've heard so far is that McMillan, you know, it's it's his job. When we had Will Hall on our podcast, new offensive coordinator, he talked about McMillan as somebody who has an NFL type quality to him. It has the ability to continue expanding to show his skill set and what he can do. So I think, you know, McMillan really proved a lot last year, and he's the guy going into camp. But I think having Howard in the system, too, uh, big advantage of the green wave and what we can do on this offense. All right, you've, you've mentioned Will Hall, Will Hall and how you've had him on the podcast now. And so the one thing that I've noticed that he stressed is he wants to make it a more up-tempo offense, which – it's interesting because a lot of people, when they think of Tulane's offense, you know, and then you hear the word of an option offense, everybody automatically thinks of the same op- option offense that, say, a Navy and Army runs. But it really is different what Willie Fritz and Will Hall want to do. And then, you know, this is a team. I mean, you we mentioned Darnell Mooney, but they're also bringing back both of the running backs that were fantastic last year as well. So, realistically, what can we expect from this offensive season? Because this is a team that I know Joe and I have talked about this a lot the past two years that has kind of like flirted with the, the, the middle range, I guess you should say, the middle of the conference range. But is this finally the year where they can you know traject forward and really make a run in the conference? You know, I don't think that's an unfair characterization at all. You know, if you look at the team's last two years, they go six and six in the regular season. They won their bowl game against the Cajuns of uh, Lafayette. The year before that, they became literally inches away from making the bowl season when uh, Banks wasn't able to cross over from the one-yard line against SMU. I think Tulane the last couple of years under Fritz has shown progress. They've shown, and I'm talking about from the historical perspective of Tulane football, where you know, this was historically not only not a competitive team, but not the kind of team that could go in and compete in the AAC. These last couple of years, I think Fritz has proven that he can bring in the kind of talent that, that can get it done. But if there's a criticism or there's a question, it's that they haven't shown the strength on offense that they have on defense. Defensive coordinator Jack Curtis has done a tremendous job. We've seen a number of players emerge as stars, not only guys who have done a great job in the AEC, but guys who have gone on to be drafted to the NFL. But we haven't seen the same kind of progress on offense yet. ton of credit to Willie Fritz. You know, he is a guy who has, 
has had so much success running option-style offenses, he has brought in somebody in Will Hall who has a different offensive philosophy, one that's going to bring in tempo, one that's going to bring in more of a passing attack. And I think that's really exciting because, you know, it's a little different than something he's run in the past, but something that I think can really utilize the speed of some of the, the Louisiana talent that's on this team. You mentioned before, you know, we have some good running backs coming back. Uh, Darius Bradwell, who is a Cure Bowl MVP, tremendous running back. Corey Dauphine, a former four-star running back out of Texas Tech, who was recruited by the likes of Michigan. Um, he was a transfer who came in last year and showed that he has that kind of home run speed. I think there's a lot of excitement about if you can really establish the passing a game in a way that we haven't before, what does that do for your rushing attack? And I think that, that Green Wave fans should be really stoked about that. It seems like the offense is, I mean, Joe and I have talked about this, the offense is going to be a lot of fun to watch this year. And we said that last year as well, and now they take another step, it seems. And with all these new faces coming in, it only makes them better. But let's flip gears to defense uh, real quick. Uh, Joe and I are really guilty of not talking about Patrick Johnson enough, if at all, last year. I think we were kind of obsessed with Ed Oliver and for good reason. So I don't think we have to apologize for that. But Johnson was really good, and I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. So maybe tell us a little bit about him. You were kind of talking about him before we started here. And is there anybody else on the D-line that we should watch if since teams are going to be focusing on Johnson this year? Guys, look, I'm not going to fault you for showing some respect to Houston last year. You should have been putting some respect in that name. I think Ed Oliver and beyond, you know, there was a lot of talent there. But look, guys, straight up, my honest opinion, and this isn't just me, I believe that both uh, Athlon Sports and Phil Steele had uh, Tulane as the best defensive line in the conference. There's a lot of talent on this defensive line. You hit the nail on the head. Patrick Johnson is the projected uh, defensive player of the year. This guy is a bad dude coming off the end. He had an extremely productive season last year. He's a guy, he's a former two-star recruit. He's come to Tulane out of Tennessee, and he's got it done. He is somebody who can make impact on every game. You know, I expect that he's going to be a guy that a lot of offensive lines are going to put some extra preparation in for, and that's only going to open opportunities for the rest of the defensive line. Another guy I'm really excited about, and I think can have a really great season, Jeffrey Johnson. He's a rising sophomore. He was a guy who was recruited by a number of high SEC schools. I believe the story was that he had some sort of like kind of weird medical knee issue or something like that that turned a couple of schools off in the last minute, including Florida State and Alabama. He ends up going to Tulane. He played a lot as a freshman last year. He has size, he has quickness, and he's a violent defensive lineman. And I'm excited to see what he can do this year. So I think this is the real strength of the team. Um, now, of course, you know, for anyone who follows Tulane football, the Green Wave has sent a number of guys to the NFL out of the defensive backs. And, you know, I think there's more potential as we look this year with guys like Jalen Monroe. So I think that the defense is going to continue to be a centerpiece of what the Green Wave can do. But the real question for us is, you know, the offense is going to be the one that can turn this from being a maybe six or seven win season into something more. Well, you kind of alluded to that, that secondary for a second. Uh, I know Joe and I were really big on Perry Nickerson a couple of years ago, and he's found a home in the NFL. Now, lately, it was Donnie Lewis. Uh, it, it seems almost that like Tulane is almost kind of a breeding ground for cornerbacks. Is there another guy that's there that could potentially make his way there as well? Yeah, you know, if we're talking about NFL talent, I, I think that, you know, it's it's been a tradition for Tulane it, it does not, for anyone who follows Louisiana recruiting, it should not shock you that Tulane is getting really talented cornerbacks who have come in. Um, you mentioned Perry Nickerson. There was Lorenzo Doss, who went to the Denver Broncos. There was Tory Nix uh, Nixon, who also went to the Denver Broncos originally. Um, there have been a number of guys who have, who have come out of this team who have been able to move on to the next level. I think that, you know, even with losing a safety like Roderick Teamer, you know, and, and, and also having Donnie Lewis drafted the Cleveland Browns, I think there's still a lot of talent when we look at the defensive backs. I mentioned Jalen uh, Monroe. I think he's a phenomenal player. I think we're going to continue to see guys step up there. Um, you know, I think defense is a, a real strength in, in what Jack Curtis has done. 
I think if you're looking for an NFL prospect, you know, I mentioned before, I think Patrick Johnson, you know, coming into the season, being a projected defensive player of the year by Athlon, I think there's a lot of expectation on him. And I think he is a very destructive guy off the edge. Um, really excited to see what he can do. And I think he has a lot of potential to, to end up going on to the next level as well if we're looking at the defense as a whole. All right, so I guess we'll uh, we'll wrap this up with kind of a general question. So Tulane obviously is looking to make back-to-back bowl games for the first time since, is it 1979, 1980? Uh, what, do you, what do you think their chances of doing that are? I'm assuming they'll be pretty good. And what do you think uh, – well, give us a record prediction for this year. Ooh, okay, good question, guys. I am going to throw a little respect. You know, what, what you said is right. Tulane has not been to back-to-back bowl games since the 1970s. I will say this because we did at Fear the Wave. We did a documentary podcast on the 1998 team that went undefeated, was finally ranked number six in the country. Uh, but actually, unlike some other AAC teams, did not claim a national championship. <laughs> um, nice. They were awesome. <laughs> they, they, uh, they did their thing, but they were a tremendous team. But actually, before 1998, uh, 1997 was the first year when uh, Tommy Bowden, who would go on to become the head coach at Clemson, and Rich Rodriguez was the offensive coordinator. They actually won seven games, and they were second place in Conference USA. But they ended up turning down a bull bid um, because the, the program was just focused on recruiting. And at that time, you didn't have to go to a bull game if you were winning seven or eight games. So we'll call it, call, call it this the first time Tulane could potentially be eligible for bowl games since the late nineties. I think Tulane has a great shot. You know, I think that their schedule is really tough this year. Um, you know, going into the first game against Florida international under Butch Davis, that has been a very respectable program. They have road trips to the likes of Auburn. I mean, there really aren't a lot of easy games in the schedule. Vegas has us at being a five and a half win over under. I would expect Tulane to be over that. You know, I think they have a great chance to go to back-to-back bowl games. I think the question of how good of, you know, a program are, are we heading toward, if Tulane can show they can really hang with uh, Houston and Memphis, who I think are really strong programs in the AAC West, I think that's going to be a big step forward for our program. There's a big difference between being a team that can, can kind of grind it out and make it bowl and the kind of program that can grind it out and really hang the AAC West. And I think a lot of people around this program think this year, this is a team that could go out and show something. Um, Athlon Sports, you know, both their writers were asked who the sleeper team in the AEC could be. Both of them said Tulane, and I think that, that that's for good reason. I think there's some real talent, not just on the defensive side of the ball, but on offense as well. And I'm excited to see if we can realize that this year. But, you know, long time coming for the Green Wave, so you got to stay an optimist. Uh, I think the both of us agree with that. This uh, I, I thought last year's hype for Tulane was maybe one year too early. This is the year that I think it is, really is could be it for the Green Wave. Uh, JP, before we let you go, plug the site or podcast, whatever you would like to do there. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, yeah, big fan of Underdog Dynasty, guys. Thank you very much for having us on. Uh, if you want to learn more about Tulane, I really recommend having us in your, your AAC menu. Uh, we're on Twitter at Fear the Wave blog. We have a podcast, which is Fear the Wave cast. You can find us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, but, yeah, definitely uh, definitely check us out, and we're excited to see where the Green Wave goes this year. Yes, sir. We, uh, again, that's J.P. Gooderham, and we, we really do appreciate you coming on. I know the past couple of days I've been messaging you like crazy to figure this all out. No, for sure. Let's uh, let's talk when uh, the Green Wave's headed to the Fiesta Bowl. You know, I don't have high expectations or anything. Things are good. Ooh, I like that. Well, we'll definitely talk again <laughs> soon, JP. But I, I think your your hopes are a lot higher than most people in this conference. All right. Well, have a good one, guys. Okay. You too, man. Thanks. Thanks again. We really do appreciate it. All right. All righty. And then that was J.P. Graham of Fear the Wave. Again, if you're not 
at least give them a follow. He he does great work over there. I learned so much in the whatever time period we just talked to him. I learned so, he had so many details about things and just knew so much about them. That was awesome. That's why we bring these guests on so to make me and Joe sound pretty stupid too at the same time. But these guys know what they're talking about. So that was the whole point of the whole offseason. We want to bring on guys that actually, you know, follow the team on a regular basis. Because me and Joe, we do miss things. Like we said about Patrick Johnson, you know, we had a we had a little bit of a hard one for Ed Oliver the past couple of years, and a couple of other guys inside the conference too. Let's be honest. But you know, Patrick Johnson is one of those guys we didn't really talk about last year, and it is crazy to think that you know coming in this year he is the probably the front runner to be the player of the year yeah that's crazy i didn't think he was that good but when you look at who's returning on the d line he's probably one of i guess few stars at that position so it's that's like not too surprising no, that's very true because I mean the other the other thing I was gonna kind of bring up when he was there, but then he he went elsewhere, so I just kind of went with it. Was you know we also were guilty of not talking about Nate Harvey a lot last year either, and he ended up being the defensive player of the year in a conference. So you know that that really is just you and I just really loving Mr. Oliver. I mean we well we like offense too. Score some points and we'll pay attention to you. Defense will score some points. Yeah, there you go. At least do your part. All right, so let's quickly go through a little bit of a recap of last year for Tulane and then the schedule for this season and give our predictions of what we think they're going to do this year. So this is a Tulane team that went 7-6 and six last year. Uh, the first team that we're doing in our weekly previews that actually was uh, bowl eligible last year and – with that said, so, you know, Willie Fritz, he, he has been making a rise this past couple of years. But Tulane, since joining the conference, is still a team that is 22-39. and 39. And granted, so, and I think this is something we maybe maybe missed on last year, but they finished with the same record in the West as the champions, Memphis, and the runner-ups, technically, I guess, Houston. They all had a 5-3 record in the conference last year. But Memphis was representative. So so for everything that JP just said, I mean, you can really buy into his hype, too, because all it might take is you know, squeaking off a win against one of those teams. And maybe the, that said team will help you out Could be Tulane being that team in the conference championship game. Ooh, that's interesting. I mean, that's all it really was last year, if you think about it. They all finished with a five, they all finished with a five and three record in the conference. I mean, they all kind of beat each other, and it just kind of happened to work out in Memphis's favor. Yeah, who's to say this year? So who's lucky. to say this year it doesn't go into Tulane's favor? That's true, and the West is very unpredictable currently, at least within the last couple of years. No arguments there. But this is a team last year, so I, there was so the the one thing that I I think did, and he he mentioned a little bit, um, was that game against Navy to end the season. I mean, talk about a gutsy gutsy play. I mean, basically they put their bowl eligibility on the line there when they went for two there. They missed that. They ain't going bowling again. Well, yes. Yeah, uh, yes, you're right, because we talked about it last week. Uh, it, it, was, it was SMU that knocked Tulane from being out the year prior. Right, and, so, and JP mentioned there was the, the Jonathan Banks dive for the end zone, and he come, he came up like a foot short. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, is, I mean, yeah, that's same thing. so, so, so gutsy for them to go for that play, and they, and they managed to pull it out. And that's a game where they were winning 21-3. to at one point in Navy, uh, they what they did is just turn out the clock a little bit and made it a scare. And this touchdown came with uh, just a, a little bit under two minutes left. Again, what I mean, what a gutsy call! I know you and I we've talked about that a little bit, but the 
such a ballsy call for for so many reasons. I mean, you could just obviously go go into overtime and play it out this with a minute 27. I found the number now. A minute 27 to go in the game. You could just go in overtime. No, you just decided to go for two. I mean, let's go bowling. I was I'm looking at the box score and the Navy scorer that tied it up at 21. I think it was like with four minutes left, right? Uh, the, in the this was in the third quarter, then they tied it at 21. Uh, the the net next touchdown to go up 28-21 was with like 3:44 left. Okay, but the one that tied it up, it's Malcolm Perry catches a 73 yard pass from Zach Abbey. <laughs> oh my God, that that is just because of what we talked about a couple weeks ago at Austin was, you know, I mean. One, Abby was gone. Two, two, the leading receiver for Navy, or the second leading receiver last year for Navy was who? The guy who threw the pass? Right. No, the guy who caught it. Wait. Oh, I'm, no, was that? No, Abby, wait, who? You got you to gotta re-explain. Did Perry throw it to Abby? Or no, Abby Perry caught it? it. Abby threw it. Oh, okay, okay. Excuse but me. still. That's my, that's my mistake. I, I mean, thought they that was what was receiver and quarterback last year, so... Yeah, yeah, that's just crazy too. Yeah, that's insane. With just the way with Navy, but yeah, I mean, Green Wave make it to the bowl game. They play in the uh, Auto Nation Cure Bowl, and I mean, arguably that might have been the best showing the AAC had in bowl season. Other than UC, I mean, UCF held their own against LSU, but the rest of the conference didn't do so well in bowl season. Granted, it is U L O L, so I don't know what that means. Uh, it's not much of a much of a, much of a win there. No, not at all. Even though Team Louisiana this year, I might like them a little bit this year. I have to do a little bit more research on them. You go ahead. I won't. But I think there's one thing that JP uh, alluded to before we get into this year's schedule that. I know we talked about last year, and I'm not going to act like I remember what we said, but if you look at their schedule, right, so you that first five games, that's pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. And somehow they kind of get out, you know, they get out of it at some point. They're 2-5 and five after a loss to SMU at home, which is a game that they, you know, Maybe last year I probably said actually probably not because it's I was big on SMU last year too, but you know the, a game that they thought they should win, but after they lose that game they're sitting at two and five. I mean they're for lack of a better word they're really sketching out to figure out how they're going to get the bowl eligibility, and then they just go on a magical run. And I think the one game that you really like point to that really, really did it for them was on the road against USF, where they just, I mean, they just pounded USF. And I think that's the game where we finally could put the padding on our back to say, hey, we told you this Bulls team was really not that good. And Tulane showed it for us. McMillan had 61 yards passing in that game. But they went for 365 right on the and ground. five touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The numbers passing that game were pretty brutal. And so I didn't ask JP this number, but I guess I can ask you because maybe you noticed it too. But the completion percentage for both quarterbacks was the same. And nothing impressive at 51%. Nope. So that's kind of why I, I put the question in there about you know whether Keon Howard could maybe you know steal this job from Justin McMillan because McMillan's definitely the better runner of the two and even he said it even McMillan's not really much of a runner himself but I mean you know, is Howard could could potentially get that job if his passing numbers aren't as well as Will Hall is going to like them so. That'll be something to uh, keep an eye on heading in this year. But let's go through the guys real, real quick here. Um, he he talked about some of the games, and when you go through the schedule, uh, it really is kind of a, a daunting one 
if you look at it. But there's definitely some games on there that they're winnable. But again, I don't know. We we said this last week heading into looking at a schedule. I don't know if I could see them getting to bowl eligibility, but then we went through it and we got there. So let let's just see how this goes for us. All right, let's start with the FIU game. These are based on Bill Connolly's numbers. He has them being a a one-point underdog, so I, I might as well call that an even game. A 47% win percentage. Joe, what do you think in that game? I found it interesting that I get that FIU is... I don't know. I, I think maybe it's because Eric posts so many things about FIU, but I'm liking them a lot more. I'm but with I, you on. I think I'm with you on that too. So maybe it's because I see a lot of the FIU stuff, so I'm agreeing with you there. Right, but now, like after listening to what JP had to say, I really like Tulane. So I, I don't know. I, I it's one of it's one of those games that because it's two G5 teams, it's not going to get a ton of attention, but it should because it's going to be one of the better games in the first week. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, I mean, even Bill obviously agrees with it. It's, it's basically a flip of a coin between these two teams. And agree with what you said about Eric. I mean, Eric has been following the FIU beat fantastically since he's joined Underdog Dynasty. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of leaning that way too. But then, you know, I literally just said minutes ago that I think this is the year that uh, Tulane. That's the thing, though. Can they go better than seven wins this year? I don't know when you look at the rest of the schedule. But for the sake of the podcast, I personally am going to go give Tulane a win in this game. Same. All right. We're each at 1-0. and We're each at 1-1 and now, right? <laughs> well, that was, that was quick. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have to... Uh, actually go through what's going to happen with Auburn, right? Yeah, nope, we're good. Yeah, so... Uh, I, oh, I, I did forget to mention, the one thing I did like about this uh, FIU Tulane game is, so most of the most of the collegiate action starts on August 31st, but this game starts on the 29th, so it's one of those earlier games, which, hey, I'm cool with football starting. So, sooner the better right now. Seriously. All right, but then all right, so then they're back on a Saturday for the game at Auburn, a thirty-two point underdog, according to um, Bill Connolly, and uh, that number wouldn't shock me. The following week is a home game against Missouri State, an FCS team. I'm kind of a little bit confused by a number of only maybe 17 point favorite like I said FCS team uh, I don't know a whole lot about Missouri State though so maybe Missouri State is maybe one of the better FCS teams I'm not sure about that this is I mean this is obviously a game that we're both going to say that you know Tulane's going to win but uh, I do think for an FCS team that number 17 is c- kind of int- intriguing yeah that is interesting that yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, that is. I mean, if you're giving Auburn 32 and then you're giving FCS team 17, yeah, you know, that's that's the number I'm kind of thinking in my head, yeah. at least. Well, the prove prove them wrong. So both two and one. Uh, yes, two and one. All right, then it is a short week against Houston. It's a home game against Houston. Uh, Bill has them as a five-point underdog. Now, something that we talked about in last week's episode that I kind of uh, wanted to bring up. So we were a little bit thrown off of SMU's matchup against Houston being a 37%. This one is 39. So I guess I'm kind of curious, do you think that those numbers should be similar considering the fact that, I mean, Houston, Houston is the one team that lead is shellacking other than Ohio state 
that really laid a shellacking on Tulane last year. Yeah, and it was kind of surprising oh, oh, with how things were going at the at least at the end of the year, I should say. Obviously, Ohio State crushed them, but but yeah, Tulane went on. I mean, Tulane went on that run. Like I said earlier, they were two and five, and they they basically needed to win out, and they did. Other than that game against Houston, and it wasn't just a loss; it was a, it, that's an embarrassing loss. The way you lost to Houston on that game, right? And I think if Houston's defense isn't up to par, then this game could be. I think this game could go in Tulane's way, but. God, that's going to be fun to watch. Again, another game that will be fun, but no one's going to watch because it's quote-unquote inferior teams. We'll be watching. That's what we're here for. There we go. But you got a game. But are you willing to go on the record? The Houston guy for Underdog Dynasty, are you giving Tulane a win over Houston in that game? No, I'm not. So you're going two and two. I'm not. You're going two and two? Two and two. Yeah, I'm going two and two also. Now, the next game. This next game should be a rather interesting game. It's a road game against Army. Bill has Army as a eight-point favorite. Now... I'm guilty. I did not look at Army's schedule leading up to the to this game, but I do have noted here that Tulane will have a bye week in between this Houston game and Army game here. So they will have some extended time to prepare for this option. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, like, I, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking in my head: Does that mean they can actually pull off a win against, which a lot of people think is probably going to be a pretty good Army team next year? I don't know. I mean, we we've just said a couple times now. JP really just convinced us that Tulane is going to be a strong option team this year, a strong option team that is looking like they're going to be able to pass the ball this year as well. So, oh, man. <laughs> I am... This is tough. This one, So this is the one, like, going into it, I was literally, I was like, oh, man, I'm not sure. But, um, I, I and I'm, I think I'm going to admit this right now, probably going into this podcast, looking at the numbers that Bill put, I probably would have gone Army, but I think Actually, I know JP. He he talked me into Tulane. I don't know what to pick. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go the op- opposite way and pick Army. Shame that man. Man. That's yeah, a, I know. That's that's a, tough a really, game. That's such a tough game. Because Tulane's defense, like, again, like JP talked about, they could be pretty solid this year. Very solid. Compared to what Army is going to see, you know what I mean? And then what is really sticking in my head, that extra time to practice, and that really does help. When you have just, realistically, if you think about it, four days at max to prepare for a team, it is so so hard because just the even the repetitiveness after a while, like, you know, the mental concentration eventually just it breaks down. But when you have say maybe ten days to figure that out, that's a huge advantage. Yeah. Because even like I said, I don't know what Army schedule is, but uh, Army has to focus on probably another team and then. Then they have to focus on an, a Tulane team who has kind of a unique offense compared to what a lot of teams around the country have as well. I mean, Tulane's not running something that a lot of teams run either. Fine, I'll, I'll pick Tulane. I, I mean, I wasn't trying to talk you into it, but I guess I just did, huh? No, I'll pick Tulane. 
So we're both at three and two? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And they're going to be four and two, so we can just skip the next week. Yeah, that's about right right there. Four and two. Uh, beat up on UConn. UConn is a 88% win percentage, so yeah. Okay, so the following one. That's a uh, that's a game we're going to have to talk about a little this bit here. Big one. Yeah. So it is a road game at Memphis. Coming off a season where they, I mean, let's just call it what it is. It was an upset over Memphis this past year, the 40-24 to 24 win. So Memphis is going to, not. it will not only be a home game, but it will also be a revenge game for them as well. And uh, something you're going to see in the next couple days is I am pretty high on Memphis this year. So I guess you already know where I'm going to go with this one. But I I do think, you know, looking at the win probability numbers that Bill has, I, other than the game against Auburn, and I guess this is their, their toughest opponent otherwise, but the percentage kind of a little threw me off, is a 10% chance to beat Memphis is all Bill has given them after the way they beat them last year. I mean, we could have done this last year, and that number you probably could argue was 10% too. So shouldn't it be slightly up a little more? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe, but I'm comfortable picking Memphis in this one. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, especially considering, like I said, home game for Memphis, they're going to be playing pretty uh, pissed off, or lack of better words, to make up for last year's game. And like I said, I think Memphis is um, not to spoil, but I think this is Memphis's year. Next I'm up. not going to argue with you. Don't spoil everything. You're supposed to argue with me eventually. Oh, okay. I will. I do plenty of that. Yeah. Well, that. That's with ease. So All right, so four the four and three. Both of them? I'm at I'm at five and two. Five and two. But you have a third loss. You have your third loss. You have your loss of army still on the record. I don't. Oh no 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 no! I switched to Tulane, so I'm at five and two as well. Wait, right? Yeah, yeah, five and two. I'm at five and two, and you've been following me the rest the whole way. Follow wait, the leader. Wait, hang on. So they're losing to Auburn. I said they're yeah. losing to Houston, so I'm at I'm at four and three. So they lose to Auburn, oh. Houston, and Memphis. I also have them losing to Houston, Man, buddy. Look at you. Call so the, me out. We're at the same record. Damn. Five and two. Five and two. You want to give them an extra loss, but it's not there yet. It's not there yet. Following week after that loss to Memphis will be a road game against Navy. Navy, literally just a couple years ago, was the team in the West to beat. Now, we both just talked a couple weeks ago, we don't think they are anymore. So, it is in Annapolis. That's something that you and I have talked about. It seems like to be a, uh, a serious home field advantage. But Bill's got the green wave as a 65% win probability. Joe, what do you got? Win. We're at 6-2, and two and they are bowl eligible already. Boom. Even I didn't think I was going to go this. Yeah. No, actually, looking at it, I'm all right. I'm going exactly according to plan. The following week, and this is a this is another one that that kind of threw me off a little bit based off of Bill's numbers. Um, it's a home game against Tulsa. All right, they beat Tulsa on the road last year, twenty-four to seventeen. But Bill has this game as only a one-point favorite for Tulane, 53% win probability, which, I don't know. Oh. But 
Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you just took the words out of my mouth. How? Without saying anything else. I don't understand that either. Um, we are both not too big on Tulsa. We're both way bigger on Tulane. This is a home game for Tulane. Uh, Tulsa's defense, at, we're going through our position previews right now, and Tulsa, we are really figuring out uh, they, they've got some holes on that side of the ball. I, I don't get it as well. This is a game that I'm not saying that uh, Tulane is going to you know to run over Tulsa, but if a similar result as last year, 24-17, would not surprise me whatsoever, yeah. if not more, with it being a home game this year. Yeah, so because we have we have them at five and three, or no, yeah, five and three. No. Who do you have? You you've got to fix something. I'm on the wrong uh, game. Six and uh, three. Six and three. We're both six and three, right? No, uh, I'm seven and two. Oh my gosh, what? Okay, hold on. FIU win. Auburn loss. Missouri State win. Houston loss. Two and two. At Army loss or win. I said win. win. Three yeah. and two. Connecticut. Win four and two. Memphis lost four and three. Navy. Oh, I messed up. Excuse me. You're right. I put five. I put five and two after Memphis. My goodness. So five and. Th- you are right, my friend. Five, five and three. Yeah, five and three. Now That'd six be, and three. That was six and three. Yes. Woo! 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 We are bad with numbers and names on this uh, podcast. It's, it's we see we're old. This this late night stuff. Next week we will we'll be doing this much earlier again. All right, let's finish up this rest of this year. So we have we both have them at bowl eligibility now at six and three. I said that premature after the the Navy game. All right, so now here's the part where it gets very interesting for Tulane because the last three games of the season, none of them are real cupcakes. Um. Road game to Temple. There is a bye week in, in between there for uh, Tulane, but they are on the road at Temple. According to Bill's number, they are at 25% win probability and a 11-point underdog. Now, you gave me a lot of BS last week for not picking Temple to beat SMU, but I had good reason for it but I will not make that mistake this week as well. Mm, you won't. No. My owls at the link, they go hand in hand. They're winners. Not in my books. Oh, so that's where we're going to switch it up, huh? Mm-hmm. I think Tillian's going to win it. At... At Philadelphia, born and raised, huh? Not me, just you. So I'm seven and three, and you are six and four. No, other way around. What? I just said. You just you, you said, wait. Are you saying that Tulane's gonna win or Temple's gonna win this game? I, oh shit! You're right. Oh, my God, Dude, I'm what doing is wrong with you? I can't do any numbers right right now. Whew. So maybe it's you that needs to not have these late night. Uh... You might be right about that. <laughs> it is uh, eleven forty on the East Coast right now. I have seven and three. You're at six and four. Six and four. Oh my god. All right, six and four. After Temple puts a sh- beat down on them. A shellacking. The following week is. A home game against UCF. A game that we're hoping to make Kenzie Milton's playing by then. But no. Too soon. Nah. Yeah, I know. I've read the... Uh, I think it was Chris Benini that put that up. The article about Mackenzie Milton that I thought was a really good one. I would have to look that up. But it was a really good one about Milton. I don't know if you caught, if you caught that. I think I saw it, but I, I didn't read it. 
I will uh, talk to you after the podcast about how you can read it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's a game against UCF. A team that, I mean, let's be let's be honest. We know what they have done the past couple of years. Um, we're going to get to them in a couple of weeks. I am not nearly as big on them this year as in years past. But they'll win this game. Yeah, UCF will win this one. Yeah. So, what record are you at? <laughs> I, I am think... at 7-4. and four. You are All right, and I'm 6-5. And and five. Five. All right. And then the last game of the season. It's my team SMU. You already know where I'm going. I'm saying win. I think I picked. I said win last week. This, I think, this is the first time, at least this off season, where we were two wins apart. Probably, yeah. I have a six and sixteen, and I think I'm pretty sure when I came into this, I did not have them at six and six either. I had them at seven wins. Dang. And that was me convincing you with the army win. That's true. Hmm. What was the game I talked myself out of? It wasn't Temple, just for damn sure. I don't think you talked yourself out of anything. Houston, maybe? That might have been it, actually. But even then, I don't know. Like, I... And we'll get to Houston in a couple of weeks, but... For me, the, the West is going to come down to those two teams once again. I mean, I, I don't know, Tulane... I want them to be in this discussion, and this is obviously going to be their best team to get into that fight for the AAC West, but I just think what Memphis has got going on this year is arguably the best in the conference. Mm -hmm. Houston's got the best player in the conference. And then UCF is... I mean, UCF's still might be... Well, no, they still are the hottest team. And when you look at how their conference schedule plays out, they might be there once again to spoil everybody's hopes in the conference. So I, I still think it's... A, you know, the, the top three are there. I will be willing to say that Tulane is in that 4-5 range this year. Maybe 6. Hmm. Hmm. You don't agree? I don't know what to think. I think I had my opinion of this team before we talked to JP, and now I have a completely different one. Alright, so... Well, let's talk about it before we end it. What, what changed your mind so much? I don't, I, I, I don't think I really like looked at their team and how much talent they actually have. And there's a lot of guys that I like. And the whole like McCleskey thing, too. I forgot that he was a dude. Mm-hmm. I think he got overshadowed by James Washington when he was there. But he could play. He's got some speed, and Darnell Mooney returns, and the running backs are solid. The O-line should be fine, and McMillan should be better. Plus, it's Willie Fritz. So I guess if it doesn't happen this year, I just won't believe in Willie Fritz. <laughs> so who knows? Yeah, and that's the, I mean, Willie Fritz, he's gotten basically one win better every year, but it's... Is Tulane ready to be an eight-win team? In not just in the conference, in college football yet. I don't know. It's just hard to see. But Tulane, I mean, we know about their their high academics, so it makes it kind of hard for them to recruit the same players as everybody else. And I mean, JP talked about that um, the undefeated team, and I mean, that's without a doubt Tulane's best team. But if you think about it, since then, they've really have only, well, 
They've only had four winning records since the start of the new millennium. And two of them, or excuse me, one of them just came this past year. Another one should have came maybe the year prior. But that's it for the, I mean, you know, the history of this Tulane team is not so pretty. So hopefully for Fritz, and I guess one of the questions I wanted to ask him, but I didn't get a chance to, was so I guess we can assume that if Tulane does really, really well this year, that Willie Fritz might find himself another job. So, you know, is would that mean that Will Hall, who's somebody that is very highly coveted, as a younger coach, you know, is he going to be the next guy at Tulane? Will he find a, a head coaching gig soon? Because I, I didn't write down what his uh, former schools were, but he, if I remember right, uh, he was the youngest college football coach ever at one point. Yeah, I think either of them will have a great chance if, well, especially if uh, what I say they had, they get go eight and four. If they go eight and four. They, I think that's. Uh, that warrants taking a look at Fritz and or, I mean, could be both of them, him and Hall. Who knows? And if yeah. it doesn't, I doubt I'm not going to believe in Willie Fritz again. You doubt that you will or uh, say that, make that statement again. If uh, if they if they struggle, so like they go in the five win range, then I'm just not going to believe in Willie Fritz. Because last year was supposed to be their year, and they didn't do it. They still made a bowl game, but it wasn't winning the AAC. And if they don't make a bowl game this year, it's just it's gonna be tough. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can't disagree with that. Just, I mean, just looking at they they have five or six games for sure that are winnable, and then you have a couple toss ups in there. I mean, that Army game was a real toss up for us, obviously. Um, even SMU could be a toss-up game. I mean, we don't. It's we not obviously an easy don't know. Schedule. Yeah. Well, no, no, obviously not. I mean, I mean, just if you think about it, just in his first what five weeks there. I mean, if you look at it, they could be one and four after his first five weeks. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, we gave them a, a couple more wins there, but. Would it surprise us if they had losses to FIU, Auburn, Houston, and Army? Not at all. And then, I mean, even to look at the back half of the season, you know, say 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 that does happen, all right? Then you're looking at a loss against Memphis, like we predicted, and then you're potentially looking at against losses against Temple, UCF, and SMU too. So, I mean, you could say worst case scenario is. Is four wins also? Yeah, that's definitely possible, especially when there's you know, like we said, the <laughs> Tulsa game is for whatever reason only favored by one point. Like, what's up with that? Yeah, that that I I, I circled that. And I was just like, I don't I don't understand that either. Someone knows something we don't. Vegas usually knows things we don't too, and they make a lot of money off of that kind of stuff. But all right, that will be all for our Tulane Green Wave preview. Uh, we want to once again thank J.P. Gooderham of Fear the Wave for joining us. Again, if you're not following them, whether it be on Twitter or the website, podcast, make sure you are. It is a terrific source for Tulane, not just football, but like I said earlier, basketball and baseball as well. Um, you know, we're here to to spread the knowledge in the conference. You know, I mean, not just inside of uh, SB Nation. We were going to get some of the guys outside of it as well. Um, next up, and actually, I will admit the error was on my part. On last week's episode, I said Tulane was up next, but we should have actually have done USF this week based on uh, conference records. They both finished with a 7-6 and six record, but Tulane had a better record, but we did not pay attention to that at all. So next week, we will have 
the preview of the Bulls, which, considering how much love that we gave them last year, should be a whole lot of fun. Joe, I know you are especially looking forward to it. I'm ready, man. Bring it just, on. Just do not mention the word trash in the episode, okay? Oh, boy. All right, I'll try my best. No guarantees. But on that note, we are going to end this episode of the Underdog Podcast. If you are not following Underdog Dynasty on Facebook and Twitter, make sure you are. You can follow me at Joe Serpico and Joe at Joe Broback. And until next time, thanks for listening to our Joe Talk. <laughs>